You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 21. As usual, you can send an email to hello at rachelasimpson.com if you've got anything you'd like to discuss or anyone you'd like to suggest that I interview. And for today, I have a fantastic discussion with Lolita Stables. Lolita was born in Sri Lanka, grew up in Zambia, South Africa, and then Australia. And she's had a really unique and amazing career so far in music, in the corporate IT world. She also co-founded the charity Oasis Africa and is a member of the board of Hillsong Church. Lolita also talks about family, about being a mum, and about her faith journey. So I really hope you enjoy this wonderful discussion with Lolita Stables. I was born in a little on a little island called Sri Lanka. Um, some people may or may not know it, but um, we may, we're probably more famous for our cricket <laughs> here in Australia. Lived there for two years and then moved to Africa. So um, because of the civil war in Sri Lanka, uh, we had to flee and my dad had a visa to go to um, Zambia in Africa. Wow. So we went there and he's a, ch- he's a chartered accountant. So we fled uh, Sri Lanka because it was the war was going on there. Um, and we settled in Zambia and then after that we went to South Africa because things got bad in Zambia. Oh no. Yeah, because wow. I mean we couldn't, we could, things, basic things like sugar and milk and things were just not available even on the shelves. It just got really bad economically. How old were you when you left? Um, I was probably seven. Okay. Or seven when I, oh, two when I left Sri Lanka. Yeah. Seven when I left Zambia. Mm-hmm. And then 14 when we left South Africa. Wow. So we went to South Africa after that for seven years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mandela got released from prison in 1990 and things kind of skyrocketed in terms of crime after that. So we decided to immigrate to Melbourne because we had family here. So we didn't have any family in South Africa. So then we came over here and we lived in, in Melbourne for, well, I lived in Melbourne for 11 years and then... Yeah, I toured around Australia and, and Asia with Buddy Holly, the musical. Wow. And I left my job at IBM. And then um, somebody gave me a call from IBM saying, do you want a job in Sydney? So I just thought I'll try it for a year. Tried it for a year and ended up staying 16 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Sydney's home now. Wow. Yeah. So you've lived all over the world. All over those places, yeah. What do you remember of Zambia? What I remember of Zambia, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. The people are stunning and gorgeous. Um, and I just remember, you know, being at church and just a lot of singing and, you know, if you've ever heard um, African singing, the mm. harmonies are gorgeous and yeah. full and toneful and and soulful that's what I remember wow Zambia yeah so God was part of your world from early on then yeah we were like we were I would call nominal Christians Mm -hmm. so my my dad and mom grew up in the Methodist church so we would go to church and I'm just putting my little inverted commas but I wouldn't say that we had a relationship 
with God. Mm-hmm. Like I can't remember a personal relationship with God. I just we just went to church. Mm. Um, Would you say you believed in God? I think we just thought, yeah, there is a God, but we didn't understand how He really applied to our our lives. So yeah, right. Yeah. So it wasn't okay. until my dad got saved in South Africa that then we sort of got saved. He got saved under Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Reinhard Bonnke doing those huge crusades. crusades. Yeah, with like million people or something. Yeah, literally a million there. Literally right? a million. Wow, huge. Yeah, he's got an interesting story as well, Dad, how he entered that tent, but that's another story. And so to go to South Africa, was that traumatic for you guys? It wasn't because we were fleeing Zambia because things weren't great there, so mm. South Africa in comparison was, was better. Mm. Um, we Dad wanted us to have a good education, so he's, we were in a Indian school, even though I'm Sri Lankan, um, because of the segregation and apartheid that was happening. Mm. So, you know, the white people lived in one area, the Indian people lived in one area, and the black people lived in another area, and you couldn't sort of cross over. But it was interesting because we were part of, when Dad got saved, um, he became a Christian, then we also decided to go to church with him, and then that's when we became Christians and realized that it was all about a personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. That sort of all changed. The church that we went to was a white church. Okay. And it was interesting, and we were sort of the only non-white people there, but they were so loving because, I mean, you can't be a Christian and not be loving to all the different people. Mm-hmm. So they were they didn't treat us any differently, which was amazing. Yeah. So our Indian friends couldn't understand how we were friends with white people. And we'd do sleepovers and, and things like that. It was it was interesting. It was an interesting time going through that because um, I remember quite distinctly not being able to go into uh, white toilets. Like if you went to a public place, there'd be white toilets and non-white toilets. So you couldn't go into those. Um, wow. There were white restaurants, non-white restaurants. So people who, who were from South Africa um, that lived in, during that time that are listening to this would... would pretty much relate to that and so were there pleasant memories or was it quite a tense environment to be growing up in? it was really pleasant for most of it because mm. if under apartheid if you just stayed within your area yeah it was all pleasant okay you wouldn't you know we weren't persecuted we didn't go into the wrong toilets we didn't go into the wrong restaurants to to be um shunned the, the thing was because I was part of a church there, uh, like a, an story that just comes to mind is the whole youth group, all 50 of us wanted to go to the first, you know, mini golf thing that opened up in, in, the, in, the, in the town. Mm. It was a really small town, actually, that we lived in. And they said, no, no, sorry, everyone else can come in except me and oh. my sister wow. because we weren't white. Yeah. And so... The youth group leader said, you know what, we can just take all our business elsewhere if they can't come in. And he took a stand and they were like, oh, no, no, we don't want to shun 50 people away. So we were the first people to go in there and the only ones that were non-white. Wow, fantastic. Which is which is good in one way, but also I just remember those little incidents where yeah. I realized, oh, I'm a second-class citizen, you yeah. know, because of the color of my skin. Mm. So that really did 
every now and again just get to me like I couldn't go to singing lessons with someone who was the best in in the town because she was white Shirley took white students mm. weird yeah. weird to think that now yeah but that really happened mm. so it wasn't it was pleasant for most of it because it's a beautiful country beautiful people mm. um the only thing I do remember is when Mandela got released there was a lot of crime and you know break-ins and people just went a little bit wild right you know I remember my my on my 13th birthday, my pink BMX bike that I got, got bro- you know, house got broken into and got stolen. And those little things just stick in your mind. Mm. That's why my mum and dad wanted us to get get us out. So we got a visa very quickly, got um, sponsored by one of our uncles mm-hmm. in Melbourne, and we got out. So Wow. So it was good to come to Melbourne and just, you know, have sort of more opportunity. Mm. And just going back to your experience in South Africa of where you met Jesus, can you talk a bit about that for for you personally? Well, I was very young, so I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. My dad had come back from this crusade and completely done a 180. Um, you know, he threw all his cigarettes away and, you know, tipped all his alcohol, imported alcohol down, down the drain and we were just like, what's got into him you know mm. but he really he'd come back really changed and he didn't want to live his old way he wanted to to live it you know the god way and we were just like this is very, very strange mm. so we went to church <laughs> ourselves and and i remember um there was a visiting pastor that came once and he's in the middle of his message he just stopped and he just said that girl and he just pointed to me asked me to stand up in the middle of the whole crowd and just said just want to say you know your your spiritual name is Miriam and um, you'll dance and sing and make music for the Lord and um, everything you kind of touch you know musically will will flourish really it'll come really easy to you and mm-hmm. you'll be a worshiper you know and so and I did give my heart to the Lord then and ever since that prophecy like I started playing guitar, I started playing drums, I started playing keyboard and I remember one day um, the worship leader didn't turn up and they're like, right, the leader, you're on. <laughs> and How so old were you? I think, I don't know, I must have been nine or ten or something. Wow. Mm-hmm. But because I was just so involved in church and just in the music, you know, I had to sing and I loved it ever since then and that's sort of how my singing journey sort of started in terms of loving, my love for singing and mm. music. And before that um, pastor had said that over you, you hadn't been involved in music? No. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I always loved music because mm-hmm. we had music at home, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really, really taken it up, basically. So ever since then, I started taking guitar lessons and it just, everything just came easy to me in terms of just picking things up. Mm. And, um, and there was so much opportunity to, to really just serve a church, which was fantastic. And was that what you wanted to do when you grew up or did you know what you wanted to do? I had no idea. I know some people knew what they wanted to do with their lives, but Mm. it wasn't me. I Mm -hmm. just thought, I want to be a marine biologist because it sounded really, you know, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know what it was. (laughs) So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So when we came to uh, Melbourne, I was was also worship leading in our church and... um, yeah, definitely did a lot of, of serving in worship, in a worship 
sense. Mm. Mm. And so coming to Melbourne, was that culturally quite shocking for you? It was in one way because it it was definitely a little bit different, but also I found, and this is in 1990, so this is a long time ago, when I first came to school there, I found that there was actually still racism Mm. there. It just didn't have a name called apartheid. Mm. We weren't living in different segregated areas, so that was good. But I also did experience, you know, the fact that, like, we were at a Christian school in Melbourne and my sister and I and maybe two others were the only non-white people. And and I probably was looking for racism (laughs) because I'd come from that, you know. Mm. And I had to really consciously make a decision that, you know what, I belong here and I need to, I'm accepted, I need to just, just not not think that people are saying things because I'm different or... Yeah, right, because <laughs> yeah. that was your normal. That was my normal. I always yeah. thought my I was second class because of this colour of my skin, which I couldn't change, which was frustrating to me. Mm. I wanted to be white so that I could just be equal. Oh, really? Yeah, because that's the sort of stuff you grow up with. Mm. you know as a young girl and so I had to really consciously make a decision that you know what my difference my un- is my uniqueness it's actually beautiful yeah and it's it's something that I can bring and it's a diverse the diversity is actually good mm. so it took me kind of two years to get used to that and make a change in my mind otherwise I was going to probably become racist towards white people <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad that that shift happened yeah and, wow uh, yeah and did you enjoy your high school years in Melbourne I didn't, I didn't. Um, I had a pleasant high school um, time, but I wouldn't say I loved high school. I have to say, yeah, I'll be very honest. Were you studious? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I was. I was good at everything. Uh, I was one of those all-rounders, you know, good at sport and good at the high school musicals and, you know, just good at, at my grades. I wouldn't, like, probably A, B student sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember... Um, my last year, my year 12, last year of high school, you know, everyone put so much pressure on me that this is the final year that, you know, the year that um, determined the rest of your life. Your, your VCE score at the end of it is be all and end all. And yeah. just that pressure just, you know, actually just crippled me mm. with fear that if I didn't get the grades that everyone was expecting, I was never going to amount to anything. Like literally, the pressure in the in the Sri Lankan community was huge. Oh, right. Because in in the Sri Lankan community, your your studies and your grades are everything, and mm-hmm. everyone knows about it before even you do. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. quite a lot of competition and comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I just three weeks before my final exams, I just shut down. I didn't do anything. I was just went to bed as soon as I came home from from school. Just went home went to bed everyone thought I was studying in my room <laughs> <laughs> wow but you weren't I wasn't now just completely just what's the word just got flooded uh-huh. with fear and um and just this whole finality of this score uh-huh. and I just didn't study for three weeks and luckily maybe my parents were praying for me I don't know but I jolted out of it like a couple of days before and I just crammed everything and you know I got I, thank goodness thank the Lord I got some good grades you know wow yeah Amazing. Yeah. And was we always an English speaker or was that something you had to learn as well throughout school? No, English speaker, yeah. Oh, okay. From, yeah. from even in Zambia. 
Yeah, in Zambia, because we always went to English schools. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, but in South Africa, we had to learn um, Afrikaans as a second language. But we always spoke English mm-hmm. everywhere. It was funny because when I first came to Melbourne, mm. a lot of the people said, oh, you speak actually good English. <laughs> <laughs> and you were speaking it your whole life. I was like, well, I yeah. should speak better English than you. <laughs> Yeah. So it was hilarious. They thought that in Africa you just spoke some African language all the time. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. And what was your friendship world like mm. in school and in Melbourne? In Melbourne, um, yeah, I had some great friends. I mean, we were all we were in a Christian school, so I had mm-hmm. you know Christian friends. But I don't think that we were all very into our faith. Like we weren't really practicing it. Okay. Um, Again, we went to church. Yeah. But we didn't understand the relationship with God again. It was interesting. It sort of got lost. It got lost years. along the way because you just start going to church and then you then you think, oh, this is really boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone else was really old in the church and mm-hmm. I think there was like two or three youth people. Oh, really? I just couldn't relate. I just couldn't understand what the, what they were preaching was how it was going to relate to my Monday to Saturday mm-hmm. when I started going to university started getting in with the wrong crowd and just trying to get away from church to be honest and get away from the whole God thing because I just didn't see how it was relevant mm-hmm. yeah so I just thought look God I'm just going to put you on the shelf mm-hmm. <laughs> and just do my own thing and so yeah for at university I just decided to just do the u- usual uni life you know yeah <laughs> and what degree were you doing i was doing business systems so it's sort okay. of a, a business computing degree at monash university in mm-hmm. melbourne mm. and did and you it, enjoy that period i really didn't i really enjoyed that um i got a scholarship to um do so it was a three-year course but one year of it you got to work at two firms right so it was called the sandwich year Mm-hmm. So I got to work at IBM for six months and then National Mutual, which is now, I can't remember what the, what the new, what the insurance company is now, but yeah, yeah, I got to do a whole year's worth of experience there and they paid like that whole year salary, they paid it over three years as a scholarship, which was amazing. Mm. So I had, I had a great time. I didn't have to work. Mm-hmm. I went to this great university, which only had about 12 contact hours. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I got to work in a, in a firm just to get experience and see what it was like and so at the end of it you know it was really employable because I had a year's worth of work mm. experience under my belt yeah and the, all the companies were fighting over us you know so it was it was awesome it was a great great experience and you continued the music through church but seeing as you were coming away from church was music still part of your world yeah totally um I still um decided to to keep my my finger in the pie sort of thing and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed musical stage theatre, so I did lots of little auditions here and there just to see, you know. I, I knew I wouldn't get anything because I wasn't really experienced. <laughs> but um, when I started working at IBM, I, I was going to more and more musical um, theatre auditions just to, to keep myself in the game. And one of them, they said they gave me a call back and then offered me the role, and I was, that was Buddy Holly. Right. And I was um, just a bit surprised because 
I come to these auditions, I'm not really expecting <laughs> that silly. They're like, well, you've got the role, now you need to go back to your employer and get a leave of absence. Mm. Uh, and so, oh. so I went back to IBM. They, um, they said, we support it 100%. Really? Yeah, they just love the diversity of people just doing all these other things. And so mm. they gave me a leave of absence for six months. And they said, you'll have a job at the end of it, not a problem. Yeah, they love the fact mm. that I was doing this musical and <clears throat> my boss said, you know, you'll regret not doing this. Yeah. So they gave me a leave of absence and I started in the in the uh, cast of Buddy Holly and I did it about six months all around Australia and Asia. Wow. Yeah, it was the most – that was actually the best time of my life. Yeah. It <laughs> I had been... no experience, but yeah. I had the best time, yeah. And <clears> going <throat> from the corporate world to the theatre world. Yeah. It was it was crazy. It could it couldn't have been more polarized. Yeah. Um, and even the cast was so jazzed by the fact that you know I was come from the corporate world. They couldn't quite understand. Yeah. Um, but we had this this great bond because I would teach them about things that they weren't really exposed to, like how to do their their tax a bit better, <laughs> and <laughs> you know afford or f- afford some of the things that I was able to enjoy and mm. be smarter with their money and budget and blah blah blah. And they in turn would just, you know, show me how, show me the ropes basically and acting and singing and musicianship. And it was incredible because we'd do all these shows and then at night we'd go to somebody else's room and we'd jam till like three in the morning. And it was just, was really a great time. And then yeah. you're ready to get on a plane to the next city and do it all over again. So you so did fun. even more travel there. Yeah, more travel. Through Asia. How did you find that? It was brilliant. Yeah. So good. Well, especially when you're with your cast family like because you do you're doing everything together Mm. um the only downside was that you do lose your relationships with like normality Mm. (laughs) because when you're when you're um you're performing everyone else is kind of not available Mm. (laughs) to catch up with you oh oh, sorry they are available to catch up with you and then when you're available during the day they're all at work yeah so i found it really hard to maintain relationships during that time so i can understand how people who are in that theatrical world they're all their friends are also in it as well yeah makes sense because then they can they live the same sort of lives yeah for sure and in that period where were you at in terms of faith and you're thinking about god oh completely not even at all thinking about god i i I went through a time when i first came to sydney where um yeah really really at a low point in my life like i was you know partying every night and that was all great in terms of having party friends but i knew at the bottom of it i was just very empty and Mm. There was just I was there was a sadness inside of me. People will even say that you you just have this sadness about you, even though I was the life of the party and always kind of happy and smiling. Mm. I definitely had a sadness about me, mainly because a lot of the pain that I've gone through growing up. Yeah. So I mean, you know, anyone that's listening that has had a lot of pain in their life, like you, sometimes you just it catches up with you. Mm. And. Um, I wasn't really dealing with it, with mm-hmm. all the pain. I would sort of suppress it and just keep partying and it's all good, you know, that mentality. It's all good. Yeah. And just don't really deal with the facts. And I remember when I was worship leading years back, when I was a teenager, 15 years, I was 15 years old and in Melbourne, I remembered that we went to a Hillsong conference 
because, you know, the youth group went there and I was kind of forced to go. But I also <laughs> loved it and I loved, you know, hearing Darlene check and mm-hmm. um, all her songs and, and going to those songwriting workshops and blah, blah, blah. So I remember in Sydney, it was about six months into it of my partying and I drove past this warehouse and it had the Hillsong name on it. And I just thought, oh, maybe I should go and have a look. Mm. And I went back and it was it was there that I just really just recommitted my life to, to God. You know, they were teaching. Um, I always thought the music was amazing and that's why I went, but actually the teaching was actually better than the music. Yeah. I found because it would, they were really talking and speaking into my Monday to Saturday, mm. making it applicable. And the people around me that I looked at were all professionals as well, like, you know, in the corporate world. Uh, there were dentists, lawyers, doctors, um, so it was good that I got to find some people that were like-minded and my my age that we yeah. could all work our salvation out together yeah. and talk it through like we call it connect groups just to get into to, to smaller groups and just really work out our faith and ask all the hard questions. Wow. Yeah, and that was where I really started to start to work out my salvation. Mm. Well, I recommitted it, but it was a journey Yeah. to then really work it out. What what does that journey look like or what did it look like for you? Well, first of all, I had to cut off from my old party friends. I knew that because okay. I felt that if I didn't, I wasn't really going to give it the best chance, my relationship with God, because I would just be living in two worlds. So mm-hmm. it was actually a lonely period <laughs> because mm. I really had to cut off um, like pretty much cold turkey. Mm the old friends and they were just sort of wondering what was going on but I knew so what I did was I just threw myself into church somebody there just said hey take it at your own pace just you know serve in the, in the choir so I jumped into the choir and I just served I served sometimes maybe five times on a weekend which is a bit crazy but um <laughs> it's, a <lot. laughs> it's a lot but because it, I, I joined when it was like a, a Christmas period where there was hardly anybody there because they'd all mm-hmm. been on holiday so they needed extra like hands on deck so uh-huh. I said, I'll do it I'll do it and it was the best thing for me just to be in 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 a safe church environment even though I didn't have hadn't re- developed a lot of good relationships within church yet because I was just so new uh-huh. but I was working all my salvation out because um as the pain that I talked about before you know that dysfunction and a lot of the brokenness that I'd had I hadn't really dealt with it I was trying to again be a Christian what I thought was a Christian and trying to hide that still, mm-hmm. which is really not the best thing for me. But, you know, mm. God in his beautiful, loving way was was calling on, on me to, to deal with it in his own gentle way. It wasn't until years later, I mean, I'd gone to conferences and heard heard what and that God loved me, but mm. I didn't really get it. Yeah. You can hear a lot of things like, oh, you're a daughter, you're a child of God, all these things, all these like cliches mm. that you think you've you've learned, you've heard growing up, but you didn't, I didn't really actually get it for me. I thought it was brilliant for other people. Mm. You know, God's blessing all these people and I thought it was amazing, but I, I didn't really get it for me. Yeah, it wasn't until I remember that, I remember when it happened, when I just got to the point where I was just sick of just having this insecurity inside of me all the time like not feeling like I was worthy and not feeling like I was good enough all the time Mm. you know not feeling like I belonged 
even at church again, mm. like people were accepting me for who I was. All these things that just come back out of this, you know, come to the surface when you're in relationship with people. Mm. And I just got to the point where God, I just wanted to deal with all the stuff from my past. What was family life like for you growing up? It was, um, you know, I was think of it as fond kind of memories in one way. Like we didn't go without anything, if you like. Like we we weren't poor or anything like that. But I think coming from a Sri Lankan culture, I think there's good things in cultures and there's also not so good things in cultures. And I guess growing up in a family where we didn't really weren't able to really be ourselves in mm -hmm. terms of just sh being able to share what we were feeling how we were going like we didn't have any sense of being able to share what we were going through yeah so that lack of 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 conversation and lack of uh i don't know empathy or whatever it was that just didn't happen now uh, you know i just grew up very insecure being a very insecure sort of girl like having to go out into the world just not knowing that I was accepted and loved even though yeah my parents loved me mm. <laughs> just because of the words went there and I'm a very like my love language is words and um and acts of service mm -hmm. so if somebody did something for me I'd think they'd love me so it was interesting when I came to God I was looking through that same lens so yeah, I was. I didn't understand how he was a good father to me because I would think if he did good things for me, that's the only way I'd feel loved. Yeah, right. So it was a huge shift for me to to understand the father heart of God and that he was he was just a good God and he was a kind God and he was a, a good good father to mm -hmm. me. And um, I had to relearn all these things because I was just looking through the lens of how my parents brought me up and thinking oh that's how my relationship with god was going to look like but he was trying to teach me no i'm actually going to show you a new way yeah where you could feel completely loved completely accepted completely forgiven and i'm also going to place you in a family where you can feel that belonging also physically you know mm. in a in a church family environment Mm. And all of that was there enabling me to then work out my salvation and, work, and ask the hard questions, you know, that we all have in, yeah. our, in our hearts about God. Like he wants us to ask him those hard questions. Mm. He's not going to crumble at it like he's God. Yeah. And he wants us to, to find out for ourselves who he is, not just what, we, what he can do for us. Mm. And um, so all of that brokenness and and insecurity and fear that I was always gripped with he wanted to just say you know you don't need to feel all those things anymore you don't have to go through life fearing anymore because if I if I if you know how much you're loved really loved mm. then that fear doesn't need to be there and uh, yeah I mean I would spend six months just thinking like five minutes a day god you really love me <laughs> i had to really get that in like believe it inside of my heart because it was such a big ch shift
Mm. I always saw people as if they did something for me, then maybe they loved me. And even if they did, I would try to test them on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you really love me? Mm. It was really a really broken, dangerous way to live. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not healthy relationships. Yeah. I think sometimes we go through life not wanting to look back on the past because it's a little ugly and it's a bit scary and we rather just say, you know, it's all good and just keep moving on with the limps that we walking with the limps that we've got. Mm. And I really do think maybe just for somebody out there that our, like our pride can sometimes lock us out of what God wants to do in our lives. And so sometimes we just need to <laughs> be humble, like humble ourselves and just look back sometimes and realize that there's context and God wants to to right the wrongs in our life because he, he's a God of justice and he wants to heal the brokenness and he wants to make us whole. And sometimes we just need to look back a little bit and even if there's unforgiveness there, just to get rid of it because it's just not worth going through life with unforgiveness. Mm. So I feel like there's some things like unforgiveness and pride that just lock us out sometimes of what God wants to do and just need to humble ourselves and just get honest before God. Yeah. Just be really real because that's the only way that you heal. Mm. And then you're able to just be able to soar after that because you're then on on a greater foundation of proper, you know, hope, faith, love, which is authentic and has got any cracks in it. Mm. Mm. And so I started going to counselling just to help join the dots. But you know, sometimes you just need to look back and realise that there's stuff in your past that can can sometimes lock you out of your future if you don't deal with it. So I was able to, to work that out in counselling, but then through prayer and a specific encounter with God. I remember the date. It was, um, I think, the 9th of February 2008 when I actually had an encounter with God who was able to free me from all of that stuff because I was able, I knew now what it was, so I was able to give it to him. Mm. And, um, you know, he, he's a God of freedom. That's why he died on the cross for our freedom. And he didn't die on the cross so that we could live our lives just with this limp and always thinking badly of ourselves and, and fearful and shameful. Like he didn't die for us to live like that. Mm. And he had to actually miraculously, emotionally heal me. And it was, I remember the day when he touched me and healed me and it was like something had lifted off, uh, off me. Mm-hmm. And I even felt lighter. I, I looked, I even, people said, you even look different because I had finally what they talked about, the joy of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like we used to sing about it in church and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I was always thinking about happiness and, and making my life great on the outside to, to feel happy. Mm-hmm. But I never experienced that joy internally where it didn't matter what happened on the outside. I still had that joy on the inside, which, um, yeah, and that one touch from him, like I've never been pretty much the same. I still have insecurity, but it's not the debilitating type. Mm-hmm. I might still, you know, be fearful in some cases, but not that crippling fear where you can't do anything, you know. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, he made me whole again. 
Wonderful. Yeah. And that happened when you'd moved to Sydney. Yeah, that's right. And so you were finished your musical theatre? I'd finished my musical theatre and I actually Mm. went back into the corporate world um, Mm -hmm. because (laughs) after the show was finished, everyone else went back on the dole. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking, now what? (laughs) <laughs> and they just told me that they go for auditions to get to the next role. Yeah. And um, IBM called me and said, hey, do you want this role in Sydney? And so I took it. Wow. So that's how I went back into the corporate world. Okay. And um, I was I was really torn because I thought, why am I got all this theatre music, you know, passion, but I'm also in business and I couldn't quite understand. I was like, God, how does this all work? Like, it's so different. Because mm. even when I was when I was um, serving on the worship team at church, I was the only kind of business person that was serving in church and everyone else was very, very creative, like into their craft. Mm. I was always asking God, why is this, you've got this inside of me, like why am I so creative but in business? Mm. (laughs) Did you get an answer to that question? Yeah, and he says, well, you know, you can bring your creativity into the business world. Mm. There's no reason why you can't, like you're a creative being, Mm. because you're made in the image of God yeah and God is like creative he is creativity and that I could just be myself at at work and actually get great results because of who I am and so um, God was sort of teaching me just to change the way I did things at work and, and start maybe presenting my ideas as a storyboard and and being a little bit more theatrical with mm. it. <laughs> and it was so funny because it def- definitely did work just to be able to tell people, you know, what I was sort of doing and what I was uh, up to because I remember catching up with one guy and said, you know, why is everyone else getting promotions and pay rises around me and I and I am not, you know, I'm working so hard. And he says, Lita, no one knows what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to let people know, uh-huh. but not in a boastful way, not in a – but just – like an update or something you know just short bullet points as women sometimes we make it too long just Mm -hmm. just short bullet points do you think that it's also um an issue for women in the workplace not promoting themselves not making their work known yeah i agree yeah i think so as to that because i i think as women i get to know a lot of them when i speak have coffees with them so they think well if i'm doing a really good job shouldn't other people notice yeah and just shouldn't i just get promoted because they notice but I think the reality of it is everyone's so busy mm. and trying to make sure that their boss's priorities are met that they actually don't wake up in the morning thinking, what are my people underneath me doing? Mm. They don't actually wake up in the morning and go, what's Alita doing today? And how is she? Yeah. It'd be great if they did, but <laughs> the majority of them don't. So you've got to yeah. just give them little short updates, let them know what's going on. And I was trying to do it in creative ways, so I'd do it, send a video update and people would click on that or wow. send a little picture that made it a little bit different and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things get people's attention you know because it just people don't want to read boring emails <laughs> <laughs> that go for like three pages yeah for sure <laughs> wow and yeah. so apart from doing the creative stuff in the corporate world were you also doing music elsewhere Mm, yeah, I was yeah. Um, I was in a band, so we just did weddings, parties, anything. Oh, okay. For about ten years. Wow. Um, yeah, just 
the you know the top 40 get up and dance sort of stuff a little bit of jazz and it was fun it was just so much fun it was just an extra little pair of shoes I could buy for you know that month or whatever it is mm-hmm. and it was just fun to just be out there and people always ask me to sing at the weddings and yeah and then um yeah so that's how I was still definitely in it and then I started once I did come back to the Lord I actually wanted to I guess make an offering in a way to him just for everything he'd done for me and I wanted to do a hymns album so I did a little album I recorded an album called hymns an offering oh wow and it was just seven beautiful hymns that meant a lot to our family growing up Mm. and I wanted to be an outreach so I did I recorded that as a mountain for me to climb to get over my insecurities of and vulnerable you know because putting your voice out there is quite vulnerable Mm. and I just wanted to overcome that so I did it and yeah that was really fun I got got you know I think I sold about 1500 copies at the time and great yeah I just got got to different different types of people like all my family that were unsaved were listening to it and they gave it as gifts to other people and I got lots of great feedback you know emailing me going what's this relationship with with Jesus that you're, you keep talking about in your your um, album. <laughs> and a nice reconnection with your identity in your early years as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually really cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, God knew. Yeah. Beautiful. And so you were at IBM for a long time mm-hmm. and then onto Google from there. Yeah, I was at Google now for six years. So I've almost done now 20 years in the IT industry here in Australia. Is it exciting to be part of sort of so much innovation and the forefront of that world? Yeah, absolutely. I I love being part of this movement of just, you know, pushing pushing the boundaries on everything. Like I love the culture at Google and if people have ever, you know, seen um, YouTube videos about what it's like in there, it really, they do encourage an environment where people can just be themselves and speak up and share ideas because they know that in the sharing of ideas if it just comes in free form you know what we might actually find the next billion dollar idea out of it and it can come from anywhere so i love that doesn't need to be like the one person at the top Mm -hmm. it can come from anywhere and so they encourage this whole idea of collaboration so if you if you've ever seen some youtube videos of what it's like internally it's you know, there's like a kitchen where everyone can gather and there's lots of areas where people can just kind of congregate and just do informal meetings, which is cool because I think that's where a lot of innovation happens mm-hmm. and, and lots of great ideas happen when you're not in a formal meeting. Yeah. You know, where everyone's got their walls up. Yeah. <laughs> and also it's nice when you can bump into somebody that's not just from your team, but you could share ideas with somebody from another team Mm. they might have a completely different perspective on it but you might actually solve the problem in a very different way yeah right so i love i love that sort of idea and also that uh, permission to try things Mm. you don't have to spend a lot of money to try a new thing Mm -hmm. and you've got the permission to fail so that you could just try it you know and if it doesn't work that's okay you can go into the next thing you don't have this fear that it's if it doesn't work you know, you're gonna, I don't know, get fired or something. <laughs> because yeah. innovation can't really thrive when you've got that fear. You've got to be able to just mm. 
Yeah, it's awesome. And in working in the IT world and the corporate world, do you have any reflections on being a Christian in that space? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely do did have to really make that shift from, you know, trying to separate this secular world from the Christian world. Like I, I, I had to make a decision that, you know, it was all ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was no sort of, when I am at, at work, I'm there to, to be, to care for people just the way I am at church because the reason I go to church is so I can, you know, connect with other people, like-minded people as well, but also receive from God, but also then go out into my workplace and just be the best that I can be there. Yeah. Because when you earn the respect of all, a lot of your peers, you get to be at different sort of tables, you know. So, yeah, I just decided that God wants us to be good stewards of what he's given us. So mm. if he's given us a job, we should do it to the best of our ability and just blitz it, just be excellent at it and um, be a great example out there. And so I've really, I've really loved understanding every year more and more of how he's shown me, you know, just to be that, to be everything that he's called me to be mm-hmm. and to walk in that with ease. Yeah. You know, with my identity intact and not having to, to worry and not having to fear and try, not having to strive. I think that's been a great journey because I'm very good at doing things in my own strength mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm a capable person. So I just try to do things and not even think about God, involving God in it. Yeah. And so I used to try to get my value from my performance, which was kind of dangerous because when my performance wasn't good, I'd crumble into a heap. Mm. So when I failed at things, God was sort of trying to tell me, you know, you, honey, your value doesn't come from that score or that appraisal. It comes from me. Mm. And that was a really good lesson for me to, to learn because in your career, you're going to have ups and downs. And imagine if you had to just go up and down like a yo-yo, it's just really tiring mm. and not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> but he had to, you know, just settle that inside of me that I'm worthy, I'm, 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 I'm enough. Mm. And I don't have to strive that he's put all these gifts and talents inside of me and all my, even my things that I'm not good at, you know, he can turn around and make it, you know, use it for his glory, which is ironic, but yeah, that's been a great journey just to be released into, to just relaxing a little bit as well. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's like the opposite has happened. The more I've relaxed into it, I'm still working hard but I'm not striving and stressing. Mm. And um, I've actually had the best year of my life, like last year, 19 year career. Um, Yes, I did work very hard, but it wasn't, it was a different type of of thing. I was sort of trusting God with certain things and then releasing it and just saying, you know what? It's all in your hands. Mm. I'll do my best in the natural and he will do all the rest. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's been great. Amazing. And then also you started the Oasis Africa mm-hmm. chari- charity, yeah? Yes. Can yeah. you tell us how that came about? Yeah, interesting story. Um, so when was this? 2005, mm-hmm. in June. Uh, a f- friend of mine was going to speak at a UN conference in Nairobi. 
And at the time, the largest slum in the world was in Nairobi, Kenya. Right. It was called Kabira. And so I just happened to mention to him that that was the case, and he was kind of blown away that the largest slum was going to be in the right bang smack in the middle of the city. Mm. And so he wanted to go in and have a look. So I arranged, because I used to live in Africa, some um, people that would be able to take him in because he was a white man and wasn't going to be safe for him to go by himself. Okay. So he went in, and um, he met up with this. He saw this guy trying to teach about 100 orphans. It was in a mud, sewage-ridden sort of hut. It was really dark, and it was kind of not good for the kids. And it was just really dark with one little chalkboard. And so he just took some pictures. He asked the guy who was trying to teach them, who was an ex-beer salesman or something, um, you know, what do you need? And he says, oh, it'd be great if we could just get some pens and uh, pencils and, and some books. So he emptied his wallets, wallet there, and got them some books and pencils. Great. Took some photos and just came back and showed me and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, now that you've told me the need, mm-hmm. can't really ignore it. Mm-hmm. And so I just got compelled that if we, if you get to know about a need, you can't just ignore it. You're just going to have to do something. Yeah. So we just did something. So we kept in touch with him. Like, you know, he would send maybe $100 one month and I'd send $100 the next month. And, mm-hmm. and but and every time we do a, a a trip for work we'd always go via Kenya yeah <laughs> it's quite a long way out yeah. <laughs> but it was you know when I when I met the kids for the first time that was when I it all changed because I was sort of helping from Australia at a distance and I would yep. see pictures I was a little bit removed from it but when I met the kids like that's when I just got turned around into more of a conviction because I met the kids and they were just so happy in their lives even though it, like if you ever got to know their stories it was horror stories of what happens in the slum mm. awful awful stuff happens and they still believe that one day they're going to get out and with through education mm-hmm. they're going to break the poverty cycle they're going to get a job but also they want to come back and help their own community oh, beautiful you know and that just that really rocked me to the core like i thought i was coming to save them mm. you know me being this person coming in with money and yeah. trying to help them but actually they saved me wow. from myself because I was just realized that man we're so lucky with what we have that I just came back from a like a materialism t- type of way not looking at things the same way mm-hmm. um, still still knowing that I can enjoy beautiful things in life that's you know I'm not meant to just leave my job and then go mm-hmm. work there because that was my first instinct mm-hmm. but um, God was challenged me to say that you know you can actually do more being like blitzing it here yeah making the most money you can make mm-hmm. and being able to change even more lives so 10 years down the track we've um, educated over 8,000 kids great and um, they've all gone through this the school and three of them have just entered university so that's so exciting. It's so exciting. So we're celebrating 10 years this year. So we've got a, a great um, fundraiser coming up on the 20th of October if anyone wants to come. <laughs> yeah. How can people support or get involved? So just go to oasisafrica.org.au. Mm-hmm. There's three different ways. So you could sponsor a child. And just so you know, the, the money that you give goes to the, the whole community. We can't just... Mm. 
give to one child and then they only eat and then yeah. the rest don't. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You couldn't do that. So we just want to know that let you know that when you support a child, you're actually developing a relationship with them through letter writing mm. because that encouragement does so much for them. Yeah. Um, but it goes to the good of the community because we want the community to, to thrive mm. and become sustain, you know, self-sustaining. Yes. So you could get involved that way. You could come to the fundraiser and, you know, buy a ref ticket or buy some auction items. They've got beautiful art there. Get donated. Um, you could actually send us a CV if you want to go and work in the school. So you could go go there. You've got to pay for your expenses to get there. Mm-hmm. But um, you could teach English, social studies, whatever it is for for you know a couple of weeks and help wow. out. Cool. Yeah, we've had like rugby teams go over and build libraries and things like that. It's been awesome. Amazing. And, and made a leadership. Um, thing out of it and just gone on a safari afterwards so yeah it's been really cool wow that's really exciting Mm -hmm. wow and so in amongst all that you also got married and had two little kids yeah how's that juggling everything in your world with being a mom and being a wife yeah it's um it's been a learning huge learning curve because yeah when you're working full-time and you've got and you, we also serve at church as well a lot. Mm. Um, we look after a service. It's life is it's a big life. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's a big life, but we've learned to. Uh, a wise woman once told me, just make little tiny adjustments along the way. Don't throw everything out and go can't do this, and, mm-hmm. and then completely get rid of a whole bunch of things that you love doing yeah right you know so I thought that was a really good piece of advice I could if the, like a, an example could be um, you know get a cleaner mm-hmm. okay you're going to spend a little bit more but if you have more time with your kids and family you're able to do a little bit more with other things mm. because they're important to you yeah for me having the kids in a routine so that they're all in bed by seven mm-hmm. so that I can help other people and, and do do things to help others. Uh, I've got more time and capacity. Mm. So people always say, oh, have we got time to do that? So because I I do work a lot harder to keep the routine mm-hmm. so that they do sleep and I've got sleep. So it, it is a lot harder work, but it allows me to do a lot more after hours as well for other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good advice. <laughs> and then also what I wanted to touch on was you are a part of the board of Hillsong Church. Mm, yeah. So a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with the idea of a church having a board. Can you talk a bit about that and what you do there? Sure. Um, so a board uh, exists so that there is governance mm. and that we're compliant with all the laws of the land and mm. and we're doing everything, you know, above board, so to speak. Yeah. And just making sure that the vision that um, our senior pastors have gets executed in a way that this church is not going to, like, be in the red, but, like, we're not for profit, so it's not like we want to be in a position of strength to actually to, um, I guess... Uh, serve the vision I guess mm. to see it executed well yes mm. yeah and make sure that we're also foreseeing risk as well to our church and making sure that we can keep it safe 
for people because we're mm -hmm. the whole, if you want to call it a business, it's not really, you know, I hate that word because it's a really living thing. But mm. I guess if, you're, if you want to say you're in the business of people, just making sure that they're housed safely so that we could have an environment where they could find God. Yeah. Yeah. But we need to make sure that it's all safe. So. Wow. Mm. So you're able to sort of draw on your professional expertise and mm -hmm. bring that into the church world. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually a really great thing that I could I could serve in that way because it's all volunteer yeah. capacity. But all the things that I've learned um, in business hasn't been for waste, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. I'm able to to really serve in that capacity because I was always ser I was serving on the worship team for 10 years. Mm. So it's been nice that I was, I'm now serving on the board and able to use some of my business capabilities and skills wow. in this world. So God's really incredible how he's very strategic like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see it at the time, but he's working all these pieces together mm. so that you could just live your most fullest life. Mm. Like, you know, everything that he, he wants like everything's placed within you just to shine through yeah and that's the beauty of of the you know the christian life i think and so throughout your christian life and life in general has there been a key um passage or scripture in the bible or even figure in the bible that's really been significant for you mm. well this passage in isaiah um 61 verse 7 was really was really uh, significant for me when I was going through a lot of you know working through my working through all the stuff in my past mm. and it, it says instead of your shame you will receive a double portion instead of your disgrace you will rejoice in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours and at the time I just couldn't understand how I would ever, you know, find that joy because, mm. you know, when you're in something, it can be very crippling and you, it's very dark. It's yeah. a very dark place. And I just held on to that, that for all the pain that I was had gone through, that God had this double portion of, of joy for me. Mm. And um, that's has definitely rung true. Like now... All I do these days is just make sure that my relationship with him is is cultivated so that my soul is happy, you know, because mm. if your soul is good, everything else will be good. Mm. And even if when the bad times come or the bad news comes, yes, you have to face the facts that it sucks, but it doesn't crush you. Mm. It doesn't take you out. And that's, um, that's what the, I don't know how people do it without god to be honest mm. like who do you go to where do you go you know and we it's amazing that we could we've got this god in heaven that actually wants a relationship with us and we can just have this incredible intimate um friend are you able to sort of sum up the core of of what you believe of yeah. your faith or your worldview in general your worldview in general the fact that i've been forgiven for, by, for so, from so much like I just and freed from so much I just wanted to I want to live my life like says thank you mm. you know um, I definitely was locked in in a lie that I was living by you know things as I said before that I wasn't worthy and 
you know, had I was feared everything and and I was living in that lie. And when God freed me from that, I just felt like I was out of a prison. Mm. <laughs> and when you're free, you live you live differently. You live just so thankful and grateful and and I've always said, you know, live teachable and, and live thankful because you've never really arrived. You can always, there's so much to learn out there and, and so much to learn from God. Like every day I'm learning more from God. And if you can just spend time with him and learn from, from him, then you're able to help others mm. from that. And also just staying grateful for everything. Honestly, that just gives you the most joy out of, out of the mundane because at the end of the day, we're just all doing lots of mundane things during the day. And if we don't find that joy, yeah. it's not always spectacular and it's always not amazing, you know, mm. things, even though we're all always hoping that those great things would happen. Mm. Um, we've got to find that joy in the little things and just knowing that we're making a difference in the little things, just caring for people, mm. which is what God asked us to do. He said, feed my sheep. And it's mm. a weird sort of thing to say, but he sort of, that's a that's a way of him saying feed and look after people that it that's what matters to him yeah and so caring for people is really what he would do if he was here on this earth and we are his hands and feet so that's really what I've I, I focus on these days is how do I love people better mm. how do I care for people better with the love that God has put inside of me mm. and what are you hoping that looks like what are your dreams for the future to do that to actually um if if i can say love perfectly because god is love and he's the perfect love it says you know in the bible that perfect love casts out all fear so imagine if i i would love that one day it hasn't still happened yet but imagine if uh, somebody did something awful towards me and my first reaction was love Mm. wouldn't that be amazing yeah. Um, at the moment, I'd probably think, oh, how, come, how can they say that to me? Or how can they treat me like that? And it would mm-hmm. take me a long time to then just forgive them and let it go. Mm-hmm. But um, my goal now, because I know before I used to all be all about wealth creation, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to acquire things. Now I just i am so relaxed in it that I, I know that I can work hard. God's got my back. He wants to bless me, not for me, but for others so that I can mm-hmm. do more with that. Mm. So I'm sort of more relaxed in that. And now the harder thing to do in life is to make sure that I love uh, people, even love people that are not, I guess, in my eyes, lovable, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's my hope for the future, that I would also put my hope in him more than I do in things and people. That's yeah. what I. That's what I hope. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.